Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Neurobiology of Sexual Behavior podcast. My name is Alex Abramenko, and today I'll be talking about the role of scent in goldfish sexual behavior. But to make things interesting, I'll also be taking on another challenging topic, science communication. One big issue in neuroscience, and science more generally, is that scientists often don't know how to communicate their findings with the public. Today I'm going to be putting my science communication skills to the test by inviting one of my friends, Rishi, onto the show. Rishi is a computer science major at Rutgers University and hasn't studied biology since freshman year of high school. I also haven't told him anything about what our topic for today's podcast will be. So Rishi, are you excited to hear about what we're going to be talking about today? Absolutely. I've never been more ready. So today what we're actually going to be talking about is sexual behavior in fish. Wow. Um, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Specifically, we're going to be talking about how scent in goldfish relates to sexual behavior. So have you ever heard of pheromones? Yes, yes. If you had to describe them to someone, what would you say? I would say they're substances created by humans or animals, and they intangibly influence the behavior of other species, of the, of the same type of species. So if it's a human, they're affecting other humans through some substance that they, that they create. Yeah, Rishi, that was actually an excellent description of kind of what pheromones are doing. Generally, what we're talking about are basically chemical signals that are released by one member of a species to communicate with another member of a species. So specifically, um, we talk about this a lot in terms of sexual behavior, but it can also be involved in things like parental behaviors. So one species that's been heavily studied in terms of sex pheromones is goldfish. When female goldfish are ovulating or releasing eggs from their ovaries, their ovaries start producing a compound called PGF. This compound induces sexual behavior in the female, but is also released into the water. This PGF in the water is then detected by male goldfish and induces sexual behavior in them as well. But what does sex behavior in fish actually look like? In goldfish, sexual behavior is fairly complicated. In males, it generally involves chasing the female around the tank, and then, if the female is receptive, they'll both swim up into the vegetation side by side and release their sperm and eggs. They'll then flip their tails to mix the sperm and eggs together so that the eggs can be fertilized, and the sticky eggs will attach to the vegetation where they'll stay until they hatch. However, one thing that's not clear about goldfish sexual behavior is whether females are also affected by pheromones. To try to address this gap, some researchers at International Christian University in Tokyo decided to study how scent plays a role in female sexual behavior in goldfish. But the first big problem with researching sexual behavior in goldfish is that they're not always in the mood. So what the researchers did is they injected the female goldfish with that compound I mentioned earlier, PGF, to induce sexual behavior. Then the researchers blocked the nasal cavities of male and female goldfish so that they couldn't detect scents in the water. And they found what you might expect. The males performed fewer of those sexual behaviors like chasing and swimming side by side with females when they had their nasal cavities blocked compared to when they had their nasal cavities unblocked. They found the same thing for females as well. Females performed way fewer sexual behaviors when their nasal cavities were blocked compared to when they were unblocked. The scientists weren't satisfied yet though. Next to see what was going on in the brains of the goldfish, they did a separate experiment in males and females where they either cut the connection between two brain regions, the olfactory bulb and the telencephalon, or performed a fake surgery where they exposed the brain but didn't cut any connections. 
The olfactory bulb is important for processing scents, and the telencephalon is responsible for producing sexual behaviors. So by breaking this connection, they prevented information about scents from influencing sexual behavior. Okay, so from my understanding, we're cutting the connection between the nose and the sex. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Are you ready to hear something wild? Absolutely, please tell me. In males, this actually did exactly what you might expect. So when you cut this connection, it reduces sexual behaviors just like blocking the nasal cavity did. But in females, it actually had absolutely no effect. Okay, so that means that the males are influenced by the pheromones that the female fish give, but the female fish are not influenced by the pheromones that the males give. So, not quite. To try to figure out what was going on, they then tried to use a combination of the methods they used previously. So first what they did is they blocked the nasal cavities in females and found that, just like they saw before, it didn't perform many sexual behaviors. But when they then cut the connection between the olfactory bulb and the telencephalon in these females with the blocked nasal cavities, they actually started performing the, the sexual behaviors again. So what the researchers think might be going on here is that normally, when there aren't any sexy scents in the water, the connection between the olfactory bulb and the telencephalon is inhibiting sexual behavior in females. So basically, when the noses are blocked, the connection between the olfactory bulb and the telencephalon is preventing sexual behavior. This might be why when the noses weren't blocked at the beginning, and the scents in the water were just right for the females, cutting the connection had no effect. The connection was already turned off. After the show was over, I decided to ask Rishi how much he felt he understood about the paper. While he did understand why the authors were blocking nasal cavities and why cutting the connection between the olfactory bulb and the telencephalon was important to answering the author's research questions, he was still confused about how to interpret the results of the third portion of the experiment, when both the nasal cavities were blocked and the connection between the olfactory bulb and the telencephalon was broken. Through this podcast, I've learned two things that I can do to improve my science communication skills. One issue Rishi had was keeping up with the flood of new terminology, which made it difficult for him to keep track of the results of the study. In the future, I can improve this by either leaving out terms that aren't completely necessary, or by re-explaining the terms as I go through the podcast. Another thing I can do to improve is to include more examples of how the results apply to a real-life situation so that people can have more context for understanding the results. Hopefully these tips can help future presenters in the podcast series. Thank you for listening, and I hope you stick around for the next episode.